0: Good morning, interweb. Welcome back to the Artifexian podcast. In this month's episode, we get a vibe check on what life on the ground is like amidst the ongoing mutiny as Bill takes us back to a cairn and behind the barricades. We debate the merits of the Irish Romanization system. Is it good? Is it awful? Brackets, it's sht. There's a sort of language talk, alternatives to ancient Greek drinks, an apology. Sorry, bib, plus lots, lots more. And that is this month's episode. Do you want to open up the show this, this month? I'm I to pass it over to you. It's hard to start a show. You open the show. Please and thank you.
1: Okay. Uh, hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Artifexian podcast, dear listeners and followers and general fans.
0: Oh, that was a really nice opening. Mm-hmm. Just off the dome. What is first uh, on our topics list, Bill, now that like, I've placed you in charge? Well, we're
1: going to start uh, with some kind of general follow-up. And I see here, Edgar, that you have a suggestion for an oxycraton alternative. So what I call Posca, that that, uh, vinegar, diluted vinegar drink. You've got an idea for an alternative.
0: Tell me more. We need to start the show more like this. You're a very good MC, Bill.
1: Like I said, off the dome.
0: So I was uh, pickling onions the last day, mm-hmm. um, like Korean style. Uh, when one goes to a Korean barbecue type jazz, one of the kind of like staple um uh, side dishes one gets before the meat comes out, or at least in my experience, is these like pickled onion rings and it's onions pickled in uh, a broth that is uh, water, um, vinegar, soy sauce and sugar. Mm hmm. Um and I was making that the last day because we 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 have like a kimbap night every so often we eat kimbap we make our own kimbap uh, and I was making the onions to go with it and uh we finished the onions and then I drank some of the the like the pickling liquor and I was like this reminds me of oxycraton, except nice what sounds good it it's very very nice the sugar all the sugar and the soy sauce like help yeah it's so much better than just putting vinegar like stirring vinegar into water with a bit of honey, the actual like cooking of the liquor and having been fused with onion flavor. Very nice. Like that is a drinkable thing. Um, so I guess I'm not completely anti-Oxycraton-like drinks. Um, just the one that was posited in that book was very bad. And I think pickling liquor is the way to go.
1: The, the pickle juice that like, if you get you know, pickles from, from an Eastern European shop... Um, that can be quite tasty when it's done properly, and there's like garlic and, and herbs and stuff in the pickle as well in the mix. That that pickle juice can be quite tasty.
0: Yeah, and I know there are people who just drink it like as if it's a drink. Uh, I find mm-hmm. that to be a little bit too um taut, I suppose, um to drink in any volume. Um. Yeah,
1: no, you it wouldn't. You wouldn't be. Skulling gallons
0: of it. Yeah, whereas I find I, can, I think I could, like, skull gallons of the pickled onion juice. Um, okay. It's very tasty. Although, I haven't done it, so maybe I'll just end up making myself sick, so who knows. Um. <laughs> but, I'd say, look, I, okay, again, we need to actually do a show here, but uh, on the su- subject of of pickles, I love, and I find it really hard to find these, fermented pickled gherkins. I find them really difficult to find and I love them like extremely sour fermented pickle gherkins and they used to be available in like Eastern European shops but I can't find them now and they all just have regular pickle gherkins and that's no good it's that's not the fun Mm. variety very sad and I tried to make my own and I nearly gave myself botulism so we're not doing that again.
1: (coughs) Or IP Edgar. (laughs)
0: Rip Edgar. Uh, so just another thing it came up this week and I was like I think I should say it, it reminded me of OxyCraton um, what is next on the topic list Bill? internet domains solved <laughs> okay so um, quick PSA for we, we talked last um, episode about my issue with uh, wanting a new website but mucking up the domains um, for anyone who uses Squarespace which I'm assuming would be like a non-zero amount of people given that it's like one of the like two or three sort of uh, drag and drop website builders. Um if you use Squarespace, there is a really simple solution to this because um, I was in contact with their help team. And that is um, the domain of your website is not actually the domain that everyone sees. Like my website's domain is something to the effect of like first name, last name, no, uh, number of digits at squarespace.com or .squarespace.com. That's the actual domain. At least that's how I understand it. And the front-facing domain that people see is like a skin on top of that. So what you can do is you can basically register an infinite amount of domains and then just shift them across different websites. And from the user's perspective, um, nothing should change. And in fact, that's what we've done. Um, artifactscene.com is no longer... Artifexian.com, it's artifexianpodcast.com, and hopefully, if I did everything correctly, that represents zero change to anyone, like the podcast URL will still keep working, because fundamentally, I've changed nothing, I've just moved stuff around. So, for those of you who use Squarespace, and you ever run into the same issue I was having with managing these domains, super simple solution, it's like three or four clicks, and you're done. PSA, finished. Neat. Nice. Neat. Nice. Um, what is next on our list, Phil? <laughs>
1: Third on the list for follow today, apologize to Bib. So you need need to make some um, serious penance to our good pal Bibleridium.
0: You say that jokingly, but I kind of do. I feel really bad about this. Um, so for people who don't know, what's been happening is that every Sunday, uh, give or take, I've been having Zoom calls with Bib, to uh, and he's been giving me a crash course in biology. Right. Um in prep for this spec bio stuff that I will eventually do because I know nothing about bio- biology or, or I know something now, but I knew nothing about a year ago. Um, and so whenever I talk about biology on the show, there is like a 95% chance that what I'm saying is just verbatim what I've got from Bib, right? And this came up in the context of the avatar episode we did where we talked about biology a lot. And I was chatting to Bib the following Sunday and, um, and he was like, uh, would it be all right if you could like, you know, credit me? It'd be really nice to get some credit. And I was like, yeah, no, of course I'll give you credit. Like, you know, once I start doing spec bio, you'll get the same treatment as worldbuilding pasta, Vanga, Van Gogh, I'll mention your name at every conceivable moment just to be like, hey, thanks a million. And he was like, yeah, cool. But you, you kind of haven't really done that yet. And I was like, what? And it was like the podcast, you know, you, you kept saying things like, oh, people have been telling me. And I was like, Sh- yeah, I really should have just been like Bib was saying or I've learned from Bib, etc. Um so I want to apologize for not giving um proper credit uh, there. Um and I saw suppose a I suppose sort of PSA going forward here is that if I say anything related to biology on this podcast, um I will do my best to to name drop Bib. Uh, if I forget, just everyone work on the assumption that it, chances are that is information that comes from bip Or all right, let me refine that. Let me refine that. If what I'm saying is correct, it is information <coughs> that comes from bip If what I'm saying is utter nonsense, it is information that I've misunderstood that has come from bip I don't want anyone to be like, Bibb like told Edgar that, like, I don't know, rabbits are invertebrates. What's that about? Um... So if we, could, <laughs> if we could all work on that that uh, that uh, axiom there, that would be great. So um, yeah, again, massive apologies to babe. I, I should have been mentioning every couple of sentences in the Avatar episode, and I didn't because I'm an idiot. And also, I think part of it, I did a bit. I tried to do a bit of self reflection about this, like why didn't I instinctually do that? And I think it's because I. Uh, I don't want to come across as like a bib simp and that comes from a place of like, uh, insecurity on my part, you know? Um, because like everything I know about, uh, biology is, is because of bib, you know? Um, so I have to, I need to be comfortable just saying like, I am an idiot. This is my teacher, D- you know, and credit bib where possible. Um, so yeah, that is my apologies. If bib if you're listening, I'm really sorry. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Um, I've not I've not lessened in your eyes, no?
1: If anything, Edgar, you have increased in my eyes. Oh,
0: that's great. It's because I moved closer to you.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you on my part to Bib as well for helping to um, upskill Edgar.
0: Yeah. And like fast track upskill Edgar. Like I'm getting, really i am getting a massive crash course. And just, I suppose just, I can fit in a thanks here because it's important. Um, thanks to like all the viewers and subscribers and patrons, because like, did I? If I didn't have this sort of platform, I wouldn't be in this privileged position to be able to reach out to other creators and be like, "Hey, could I get a personal one-to-one here?" Like, if I was <sighs> just a regular, you know, viewer, that that's not an impossibility that scenario, but it's difficult. Whereas if one yeah. has a community, that's so much easier. So. The ability for me to be able to get this sort of crash course in spec, uh, spec bio and uh, broaden my horizons and acquire greater knowledge is like quite literally down to people who watch this show and watch the videos. And that's just an amazingly privileged position. And I just want to thank everyone as well as Bib here. Um, it's great. Absolutely wonderful.
1: Cool. All right. German correction. Let's move on to German correction. All right,
0: we're Beating through the follow-up this month. It's because Bill wrote, like, a literal tome <laughs> for his world building. Spoilers. Um, so I mentioned in the last show, uh, I was we were talking about um, gender, uh, grammatical gender, noun classes. Um, and I mentioned that in German, uh, I said that there's you could change the article with the noun mehr, meer, M-E-E-R. Um, the word for sea and that changes the meaning and I was like I th- I, I speculated that I think like der Meer um, means sea whereas die Meer or dasmeer means lake or something like that Um, I suspect that I was probably wrong with the particulars there and turns out I was U slash D-F-Y-X our friendly neighbourhood German uh, stepped in and said der See means the lake masculine and die See means the C, feminine. Um, So I got the wrong, the spirit of what I was saying is correct, but I got the wrong noun in there, Um, which, you know, is typical for me because my German extends only uh, insofar as I'm able to communicate with my German relatives. And that is not a thing that has come up. So there you go. Um, So thank you for the clarification, DFYZ. YX. YX even. Jesus, I'm thanks for, thanks for correcting me there. We'd have to issue another correction, a correction on it's correction deception. <laughs> <laughs> um Now speaking of uh, speaking of languages, uh Kaluadev, you slash Kalua dev uh wrote a really cool comment. Um based on our talking about Irish. I'll just, it's not too long, so I'll read out the whole thing. Hey, it's me mm-hmm. again, here to talk about Irish. Glad to hear you found a or Edgar, I hope you enjoy it. I have no intention of signing up for said thing until I complete Duolingo, at the very least. Um, You're not alone in not being, uh, you're not alone in not being told about grammatical gender. I've talked to a lot of scu- school students who have never heard about it. And um, There's also a lot of patterns which can indicate whether nouns are masculine and feminine. This makes it a lot easier to deal with unknown nouns. Uh, this goes back to the point I think I made last episode where I was like, I don't think we were told about the underlying logic there. We were just told, rote memorize these patterns. Mm. Like, we're not going to discuss masculine and feminine, just memorize what this noun does, which is, you know, terrible. Um, I hadn't personally noticed the skew between masculine and feminine nouns, uh, but it was interesting, so I thought I'd look into it. I did analysis of some of the most common words and got the following. Masculine, 1040 feminine 574 so it's about two to three um masculine um which seems to confirm my sort of initial um uh, insights that like there's just a lot more masculine nouns than um than feminals which is cool and someone else uh, i don't know if this was clue dev it might have been someone else in the reddit sorry if i can't name drop you um speculated and I think this is accurate that the reason why there are so many masculine rounds is because the old neuter um that got passed down from PIE true Proto Celtic and etc it got collapsed into the masculine section. So masculine's doing the duty of masculine and neuter.
1: That was John Lang.
0: John Lang. Um hence why there's a disproportionate amount of masculine nouns, which is great because it just makes dealing with the gender an awful lot easier. Because you just you can almost just assume masculine and then just, you know, make a mental note when it's not. Your default mm. expectation is masculine, which is kind of cool. Um So thank you, uh, John Lang and dev for the Irish follow-up. Thank you very much. More Irish, uh, a heated debate about Irish coming at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> um And that is, God, that is a really fast uh, follow-up section. I think that's follow-up done. Have you got anything else to add, MC? Mm.
1: No, i th- I think that uh, I think that concludes follow up. Wow.
0: Okay. Main topic. Uh.
1: So, Bill, why don't you tell us what you've written this week? Um. It's this month, Bill. Come on, you do this all the time. This month, I have written a letter from within the barricaded zone
0: in Lansk. Do you think next month we could just? I could just have a month off. Uh, And you could just do the podcast as both me and you at the same time.
1: Are you sure you want that?
0: I think everyone would love that.
1: The irreparable brand damage that I will do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll be gas. Damn it, April (laughs) April Fool's has has come and gone. Uh, Anyhow, yes, story time. Let's go.
1: Mother. I have written to you before now, but it was said it could not be certain that any letter would reach you, and less certain by far that any letter in return would reach me. Forgive me if I repeat myself from previous letters, but if, as I fear, you have not received my previous messages, I must give an account of what has occurred here in Lansk these past months. I am, as you no doubt feared, behind the barricades. Life has not been so bad despite what you may have heard. I was at work when the assault transpired, and thus avoided being caught up in any of the violence. When we knew what was occurring outside the yard, the greater part of the uprising was already over. The barricades were in place by the end of the day, and for the most part, those of us with our homes and our workplaces situated within the neighbourhood continued as normal. I have maintained my boarding from before. The other tenants too remain. Save for Caston, was a staunch opponent of all agitation and mutiny he to the extent any of us know stole away on the second night of the barricade and has not been heard from since and has not been sorely missed for though his company was generally agreeable we know it should have become unbearable in the current affair we have given his bed to a young otvevi his accent suggests otvev but his name and his appearance suggest an admixture of other blood in his veins this fellow Ehefe is a dock worker who had lodgings on the other side of the city and was unable to return home across the barricades But he has made himself comfortable here and is a happy addition to our band Not knowing what else to do. I continued to go to the yard and work for a long period after the barricades placed us in isolation Many of my colleagues did the same nearly all those who did not flee the ward entirely Of course we could not continue forever as there is no one to purchase the completed divinity or to deliver fresh materials for new constructions, and so the foreman has written us letters acknowledging our continued labours, freeing us from obligation to his yard for the duration of this affair, ensuring us work should it be possible once more, and finally he promised us the sum of our wages for the time worked, as there has been a lack of currency hereabouts. I do not feel aggrieved at the lack of labour nor pay, my last payday was shortly before the uprising, and I have saved diligently as you taught me. Really, I have no great need for money presently. Our landlord has not been present to collect her due, and I have eaten much from communal kitchens and traded labour for meals. There is no great variety of food. Much of our supplies come from the Earthani, and the hard biscuit and salty fare they favour grows dull without a relish or a fruit to soften them and there is no great excess, but there is enough for most of us on most days. We in the lodgings have pooled what little extra we can, and feast together when there is a sufficiency. There is a general shortage of brandy, but Irasha, being unable to attend her work outside the barricades, joined a committee and was assigned to sourcing provisions, where she is betimes able to take home a bottle or two recovered from some wealthy citizen's stores. With my time so free from the yard i have not been idle committees have been established for necessary tasks while irasha finds food i am often assigned monitoring the barricades here or watching out for company vessels or columns of bailiffs neither of which i have seen you will be relieved to hear on other days i have worked at unloading barges repairing neglected buildings or clearing refuse of my other fellow lodgers Alsech is able to work at his trade relatively unconcerned with the whole affair, as shoes must yet be repaired even in the midst of mutiny. Heitha, likewise, is working to unload the barges and maintain the docks. Irasha, I have told you. Grigana is entirely unable to attend to her trade, and so she has volunteered for a safety committee and spends her days ensuring peaceable conditions in the ward, adjudicating disputes and quelling brawls, and directing such energies instead to the protection of the district. I am well, mother, and affairs are peaceful enough hereabouts, despite the upheaval. I cannot say when I will see you again. Once this affair has been concluded, I hope to hear from you and return to visit as soon as work allows it. I have not asked of the family, though I miss you all heartily, as I know you will have no means of transmitting such news. Give them all my sincere love and reassure them of my safety. Your loyal and loving daughter, Ulne.
0: Very nice. You you took on board some of the suggestions that I and others in the Reddit made. This is the divided city vibe that we were talking about. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. I has that occurred before? I can't remember. Um,
1: I ha- I hadn't written anything from within the barricades. No.
0: Oh, I mean, like, no, no, I mean, um, has something where, like, I've said, hey, you should do X, Y, and Z, and you've been like, huh, that's a good idea. I'm using this moment to revel in the fact that one of my suggestions was good enough to perhaps be uh, implemented. Uh, <laughs> it fills me with, with great joy. So, uh, also, props on, the, uh, you did a bit of voice acting there. You kind of had a bit more uh, um, dynamic range, I suppose, or undulating uh, tones in your, in your delivery there. I don't know if you were trying to affect... Uh, a young person sort of vibe um or affect a sort of sense of like I'm kind of optimistic given the bleakness but it was cool It was a good delivery
1: thank you hmm. I, I i don't think i was
0: consciously doing that but i'm i'm, I'm glad um so i guess the main thing uh, i have, i have i have various um points but i think they can broadly be boiled down to two things um mm-hmm. And this, the first one can be wrapped up in your general sort of summary of what's going on to catch people who haven't heard it. Names. We have a lot of names introduced. Kasten, Ahita, uh, sorry about the pronunciation, Irasha, Alsech, Grigana. There's tons of names here. Um, sure. So it might be worth just doing a quick, like, character um, review of these people uh, in the context of, like, why we're at this story. So let's start there.
1: Okay. So these are all, like, totally new characters, not mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, Ulna is a woman living in Lansk in the area that has um, kind of had a mutiny and has, has barricaded itself in, in protection from the bailiffs and the companies. And the other characters I name are just people who live with her.
0: And Ulna, um, Ulna is the writer of this um, piece. This Ulna
1: is, is the author, yeah. Ulna is the letter writer here.
0: It's Ulna and her flatmates. And and do the flatmates have any sort of relevance here uh, at all? Is there anything going on with them other than, you know, to, to demonstrate how life goes on in this context?
1: Kind of just showing how how life goes on. Yeah. Like, these are all people that uh, uh, Ulna would have written to her mother about, or would have said, mentioned in in previous letters to her mother, so she doesn't go deeply into explaining who they are. Um, she doesn't say what Arasha does that she wasn't able to go to work, just that Arasha can't go to work. Um, and assuming that her mother will remember what Arasha does, oh, that's she, nice. She works in a different district. Um, no, so this is this part of an, kind of an ongoing conversation. The the mother's assumed knowledge of some of these people is is, and I- implicit here.
0: Okay, cool.
1: Um, yeah, so those are the people she works with. Um, lives with Alsek is a cobbler um, Ahetha is the new guy he's a dock worker um, Arasha I haven't figured out what exactly she does but she works in a different place and she can't go to work anymore <laughs> um, as, can, as is Gragana um, yeah it's that's just the the living situation
0: and, and I suppose the mother is also a character here so do I I just take it that the mother is in the same city but just on the other side of the barricades
1: no no different city
0: Different city, different city. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Maybe
1: actually, maybe, maybe, maybe not even a city. Maybe somewhere a bit more rural or something. But
0: okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool.
1: Not in Lansk.
0: And then we have the other, the other chap. Um, what's his name? Uh, the guy who left was a Caston. Caston. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming Caston is just uh, what? What's his shtick here? Because he says he's a staunch opponent of all the agitation and mutiny. So he's kind of like. Um, He's just not politically aligned with these people, too. So he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think the the um, that Ulna is necessarily particularly political. It's just like she she's found herself here and kind of needs to be doing something. So she did some work with the with the, the committee. Uh, but yeah, Caston is more political. He's opposed to the the labor movement, opposed to the agitators, and when he found himself in like kind of the midst of a rebellion was like, absolutely not, not putting up with this, and snuck away.
0: I mean, makes sense. I think I, I would probably try and do the same thing. I wouldn't be like, I'm going to stay here when, you know, fighting is occurring. If I can get out, I, w- I would get out. Um, So this is probably my misunderstanding of things. Um, But it, you say that the writer, Ulna, is not very political. Mm-hmm. But it seems like... The vibe I got is that you were kind of demonstrating a sort of like informal, um, almost governmental structure arising out of this chaos with, with all these committees... Um, Mm. like I'm getting kind of like anarcho-communist vibes. I find anarcho-communists tend to talk about committees an awful lot and people forming committees. And it, it, the, the feeling I got is that all these people were like, well, look, it's bloody chaos here. We need to cobble together some sort of system to maintain society. And the way that's manifested is in the creation of these very committees to do things. And they sound very kind of, uh, what's the opposite of a hierarchy? Like
1: non-hierarchical.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anarchic. Anarchic, anarchic, non-hierarchical, etc. And if that is the case, um, we would imply that maybe the, the writer is to a degree political because she could just opt to not partake in those things at all. But it seems like she's lived... I'm getting the vibes of like young people, young, relatively poor people in a flat with like political notions about how the world and society should uh, be and then going out in the world and trying to manifest this... Um, but I feel like I'm perhaps reading that wrong because you said that Ulna's not particularly political.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. But, um, like, her, her first thing when the barricades went up was to just keep going to work, you know? She's not, like, a, a, a motivated agitator. Um, She's someone who's found herself in this situation. She kept going to work. Then, like, there was no real point in going to work anymore. And she was looking for something else to do. And, you know... People they they needed people to unload barges or to fix houses or to join the committees and and keep keep watching the barricades. So she was just kind of doing stuff that needed to be done rather than being ideologically motivated, uh, mm-hmm. for the sake of the of the mutiny or the rebellion or whatever.
0: Uh, am I is my assessment correct that there is a sort of like informal governmental structure being set up here with the, with all these committees?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it would be something like that. Yeah, yeah okay. it would just be like you know, the, the Lance public executive has taken over this area of the city and then people are just kind of organizing around what needs to be done.
0: Okay. Um, cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not wildly off there. Uh, because no,
1: you're, sc- you pretty much bang on.
0: Yeah. You scared me when you're like, almost not politically motivated. I was like, crap, have I misread everything? But that's no, good. It's good. Um, the,
1: yeah, but you know, like, for example, in in any situation like that, not every person is going to be a, a communist revolutionary. There's, there's people who are just going to be there and will have to get on with things somehow.
0: I fully agree. And that actually leads us on to the next point. Um, I love and always find fascinating the way that like in war zones, war zones, it need not be war zones, which I always thought was kind of fun because, um, you know, from video game world. You get the impression that if there's a war going on, there's just shooting all the time, right? Though like the, mm. the entire region is dedicated to fighting. Whereas, um, what actually transpires is that you can live in the midst of a war zone, um, or or a country um that's under siege or whatever. Um, and your life can be fairly normal. Like it might be hard to get eggs or something because like supply chains have been interrupted but it's not like because your country's at war you're constantly a threat of, of having a bomb dropped on you that's like very uh localized you know okay. um and so i like that you leaned into this like well i was at work when the assault transpired uh, and thus avoided it being caught up in the violence that like, you can kind of just go about your day and be like huh a rebellion took place i had no idea because like war need not be this all-encompassing thing that affects everyone in a brutal manner you know or in a very yeah. direct brutal manner like obviously like it has negative effects for everyone um so i like this it's i really not, not like
1: everyone is immediately being shot at all right. at the same time
0: exactly yeah life can go on as normal um and i i hesitate to say fun example but back when i was really young um like in the early 90s um i remember I remember either being told that this happened or I I, I have some latent memories, first hand memories of it actually happening. But my elderly German grandmother would call us periodically when she heard about some outbreak of violence up in the north. And we we live really close to the north. Like, we're not a northern county where, where I live, but it's really, it's within touching distance. Like, many of us will do our shopping in northern Ireland, for example. Mm. Uh, we're, we're that close. And, like, there was literal violence going on, you know, tens of kilometers away but like that had no relevance to me at all do you know yeah. um and like that didn't affect anyone or anything um and i just think that's a really cool sort of thing i don't know it's just a cool vibe um uh life goes on life goes on Life, life is boring, and <laughs> boring life goes on. Uh, so I like that you leaned into that, um, and I like the idea of like you know, like you said, she just goes to work until like there's no point working anymore, and it's like, well, boring life goes on. Time to go help out with you know at the food shelter or something. Um, mm-hmm. No bombs, no guns, no fighting. It's just yeah, I like it. It's good. Um, although, although
1: I will say mm. she is writing a letter to her mother, so she may be downplaying um the the proximity to peril that she was in.
0: I mean that's that's fair. That is fair. But it's still
1: it's still a plausible a plausible story. Like it's not like a yeah.
0: Yeah that, that the,
1: is it still has to be plausible and, and thus that, that uh point you're making still rings true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And or or it could be a literal case that um or a case that it is literally true what she's saying, but mm. um it might be a, a non-stable um uh setup as in at any time violence could come to her doorstep. It just so happens that currently it's all yeah. not really affecting her. So yeah. Um layers, Bill. Your writing is like onions. It's very shrek Like an ogre. <laughs> like an ogre exactly. <laughs> um the other thing um I do love I do love that we it wouldn't be a piece of Bill prose without some sort of like dig at um the upper classes. And I do like the sentence um uh, she's able to take a bottle or two uh, home uh, recovered from some wealthy citizen stores. I do like that. We just, we need to get in that the upper class are being screwed. That's fun. Um, the the last sort of big talking point, I suppose I have is the, um, uh, the quote. And finally, he promised us the sum of our wages for the time worked there as there have been a lack of currency about. Um, You seem to belabor this section here, when you talk about how her work petered out and it seems Mm -hmm. to be that her, her bosses, her employers seem to be like good employers. Um, is there something in that? Like that seems like a really nice thing for a person to do to be like, I will pay you for your time.
1: Yeah. I mean, so that's like the, the, the foreman rather than like the manager rather than the owner necessarily. Um, and he is stuck in um, the middle of a rather significant uh, labor agitation um, event. Uh, so he's probably just being rather smart in, in terms mm. of self-preservation there by being, oh, yeah, of course, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you. <laughs> of course I'll pay you. I don't have it on me now, but here's a letter saying, no, when, when we have the money, you can get it. Um, right. You know, if he was just being unpleasant about it, it would probably be... It would, he would feel unsafe for him to do so. Um, that's that's the most cynical take there. I mean, he, he could just be sound. He could just be a good guy. Um, hmm. And, you know, sometimes people are. You know, just, they kept going to work. And they were trying their best in the situation they were in to keep things going and to have a sense of normalcy. And it ran out, so... He's just trying to do right by them in turn.
0: Is the so your one ulna works on uh, making Davints or Davinti? Yeah. Is yeah. Uh, the manufacturer of Davinti uh, a centralized um, process?
1: Like, is there is there like one monopoly making all the Davinti in Abesque?
0: Yeah. Or is this spread out? Like as in, is the, uh, is the inability of this company to make DaVinci a big problem? Is this like Lockheed Martin or whatever, not being able to make whatever they do, weapons, planes, I don't know what they do. Um, uh, (laughs) Weapons, planes. (laughs) uh, Is is this like this? Or is it like, if nothing is coming out of this particular factory, it doesn't actually make any difference, uh, difference in terms of keeping airships in the sky?
1: It doesn't make a huge structural no. difference. Okay. No. There, there are other people that that do it as well in, in other parts of landscape and in other cities.
0: Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. I uh, Viva la revolution. That's um, that's <laughs> that's all. That's all I got. Uh, have you have I missed something? What would you um, like to talk about? No,
1: I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to give a, uh, a ground level perspective of what was kind of what it was like. Behind the barricades within the within the area. Um, as I said, she may be downplaying things a bit just to stop her mother worrying. Um, but that's yeah, that's that's kind of it. It's, I think it's it's fairly straightforward, this one.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like it. Um Thank you.
1: Very much. I think it's a, it's a bit more um I have been I've been reading um like first hand nineteenth century stuff recently, so it's a little bit more run on sentences um than even my other stuff, but I I I, I was enjoying doing that.
0: <laughs> B- Bill constructing sentences like it's German. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, naturally. Tell me tell me what you've been reading. What have you been reading?
1: Um The Recollections of Rifleman Harris.
0: You're so nerdy is, Bill.
1: Uh it's uh The memories of a soldier who was in the 95th Rifles in the Peninsular War. And just like talking about stuff he did and what he got up to and battles he had. Sorry,
0: what is the Peninsular War?
1: The Peninsular War, it was the Spanish-Portuguese part of the Napoleonic Wars.
0: Okay. Something just dawned on me, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh... Would it be worth ever doing like air quotes book review of things like that that you're reading? Um, because that has like some definite world building relevance. Like we're going to discuss primary sources of of like army people. You, you take some information and inject it into your worlds here. That seems useful. I I I, I I I have some degree of trepidation about it because it seems I'm sorry shockingly boring, but it may be useful. <laughs>
1: Um, I mean, yeah, like it gives you insight to how people thought of their own cultures and the ways that they constructed their their understandings of the world, um, which I think is, I mean, that's obviously a thing that is very interesting in world building for me.
0: Um, Maybe let's so, let's let's put a pin on that one. Let's discuss at some stage. Remind okay. me to talk to you about what you've been reading, and if something piques my interest, we might we might inject that into the show. That sounds like a good idea. Um, anyhow. People are not here to have us talk about uh, planning and logistics. Uh,
1: <laughs> also, also, also that guy, Rifleman Harris, was a cobbler, and that's why I was trying to think of a trade for Ulnay's for uh, lodgings mates to have, and that's why one of them is a cobbler.
0: Oh, that's nice. Mm. That's cool. Um, it was in my mind. Seeing as... Um, You've now like implemented a suggestion that like I and and the subreddit backed up. I'm going to further hit you with suggestions that you may or may not implement in the future. Um, We talked about before, but I just want to reinforce it. I think we need deaths. I think we need uh, some characters to die. Um, That would be nice. Now, the, the issue with that is that the only character that would have some weight with dying would be Yar. Uh, because he's mm. definitely the most fleshed out character. So it may be worth, um, if this were me, it may be worth fleshing out some other character and then uh, using that to kill off one or the other. Um, because we haven't had an awful lot of very direct dying. Um, and you're writing, this is not meant as a criticism at all. It, it reminds me a little bit of this is like the third show running, the show Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> because um, it's become a bit of a gag between myself and the captain when we watch it. Whenever any character is in jeopardy, they never die. Um, mm-hmm. Like I think your man Ragnar died of old age, uh, and one of the one of his minor sons, who didn't really have a plot, died randomly. But anyone of note tends not to die at all. Um, and I feel like it's it's a little bit like this. So it would be kind of cool to be like just stun us one day with like this beloved character or hated character just gone wait Ragnar died of old age didn't Ragnar just get really bloody old oh no he didn't no no sorry sorry I, uh, sorry I got confused no he became like an old man who lost all of his clout and then he went to England uh, and uh, your man in the north killed him he like he went willingly to his own death basically um, okay. Yeah.
1: Cause I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen that far, but I mean, that's absolutely not what happened in like all of the, the stories about him.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I, sorry. I, yeah. I, I got that wrong, but he, he didn't die in the sense of like, it came as a, a shock or it, it, it evolved a plot twist. It was, it was very much like Ragnar's arc is done. Uh, therefore we'll kill him, but we won't kill him in a very grand way. We'll just send him willingly to his own death. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want more Ned Stark. Basically, is what I'm saying. Like, I want to just be like, "Damn, I did not see that coming." That dude's dead. Holy crap! There's a power vacuum. Yada yada yada. That'd be really cool. Um, I would like to see this sort of thing in 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 e. Cairn, where the character that we've been following uh, ends up dying, and that causes us to have to rethink how we think about this world. So that's just that's just my advocacy piece. Take it or leave it. It's up to you. Cool. All right, Reddit, back me up. <laughs> all right um that's that done shall we motor on to no sorry your MC. what's coming up next bill um
1: next we are going to talk about your recent planet reveal
0: we're finally at the stage where we can kind of sort of talk about um the videos again because there's no point really talking about tutorials it's like this video showed you how to use this tool not very interesting to talk about um world reveal I I don't have a massive amount of talk about here unless you have points and clarification the main reason I want to bring it up is I want to further uh thank world building pasta and encourage people to go over to world building Pasta's site uh the dude just dropped an amazing tutorial on how to do like realistic erosion uh patterns that is um just great like he's doing the lord's work over there just Go check it out. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, he is a a amazing member of the new member of the community, and just I, I love his work. a Bit so please do check him out. And yeah, massive thanks to him again for putting the world together. It was, uh, I dare I say, a stroke of genius on my part to get him to do this because I had a sneaking suspicion people would absolutely hate the G plate section, and that came to pass because people are like enough of this crap and it's really great that i was able to have we're pastor working on this in the background so we could get through g plates as soon as possible and just switch and be like here's the world uh, if you want to make something like this see the last couple of videos Um, so it was without that uh the the, the channel would be tanking a little bit because i'd be like well i'm sorry you hate g plates but we got another 20 episodes to go because it takes a long time to make a world in g plates or i'd have to like Leave the internet for like a month or two uh, while I worked on um not a, a month maybe while I worked on it and then just be like surprise I'm back here it is and no one has the context of how this all works you know so um it vital role world building pasta to there so links to the show notes check them out the dude's awesome
1: yeah thank you world building pasta
0: now have you got anything to point out anything that that piqued your interest
1: um. No. (laughs) No, why, so why is the timescale set up as it is that you're, you're, you've finished at like minus 1150. Are you going to, you're going to keep developing it further from this point or?
0: No, it's just the consequence of the program. Just start it, start the timeline with enough room that you can comfortably make your simulation. And then whenever you decide, like, I think this is the modern world, just cut it off there and then export and relabel all the dates. Okay. Yeah, cuz it's going from 850 to 0. It just so happens that the way it's presented in G-plates is 2, uh, 2000 to 1150. Um right. Yeah. Just again, another one of the ways G-plates is a little bit awkward, but you know, what can you.
1: Um no, it's 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 cool. I I mean watching it, I I was thinking I was like, "Oh, you could do cool stuff with that or you know i was thinking of like stories i could i could settings and, and and cultures i could put in it so good it is an evocative world that you have that's good that's cool that you have ended up with
0: that is that is very very cool um i, I uh, the thing that i find uh, interesting about this process is that um there have been times particularly when looking at other people's work because people send me their attempts at g plates periodically um and they'd be like, this is my modern world, here's the same go look at it, tell me what I did wrong. I find that it's oftentimes, once you have a full history, it's oftentimes, like, if you just back it up a little bit from where you stop, you kind of have an opportunity to go, that's actually a better world. Like, that's a better arrangement of continents if I just go, you know, uh, 100 million years before where I actually stopped. Um, uh, like, a better arrangement of climate zones, etc. And it's a really cool way of kind of... Um, in an unpredictable way, getting a world you like, you know, because if you sat down and was like, I'll draw out the contents exactly like this, you you may not get there, but because you started from an initial condition involved the forward and tried to get to where you'd like to go, the in-between could actually be even better than the where you'd like to go. um, And I think that's just cool. And like, you, you f- like the process takes a long time, but you have like an infinite amount of worlds in one simulation, you know, you could stop it at any time and be like, that's my world um which i just think is just just so great i love this so much bill like i know it's super nerdy and i know everyone's like i don't want to spend like two three weeks working on this simulation just to get a modern world map but god the deep time stuff really fills me with joy it's just so cool <laughs> i think i've uh, i've drank the kool-aid something serious here <laughs> i've gone down a on a rabbit and good and good, good thank you um so that is geez that's the shortest let's talk about the um the the video ever my god um green room <laughs> sure <laughs> if you haven't already done so go check out the video it it it's it's cool i really like it links mm-hmm. in the show notes um all right green room in three two one Before we start with Irish photography, uh, listeners, Bill and I have just been talking for a few minutes, and he said something interesting that I'd like to just interrogate. Um, Bill, you mm-hmm. had been talking there about the 1800s. Um, you had some knowledge about mm-hmm. a thing that existed in the 1800s, and you were on about that. And it, it just occurred to me that, like, so much of your writing and stuff is inspired by this kind of, I'm going to get the term wrong, Vic, Victorian. Is that a Victorian period? What's this period of kind of, like, 1800s to, like middle 20th century. What what is that?
1: Uh well the Victorian period would begin uh, in 1838 I think. Uh, in the 1830s. Um 1837. Uh so I my interest is, begins a little bit earlier than that. Okay. So the Napoleonic era. But like let's just yeah you can just say the the 19th century.
0: The 19th century. Okay. So you you seem to really dig this and it occurs to me to ask like do, would you if you were given the opportunity would you uh, go back there like do you feel anachronistic do you feel like damn i really was born the wrong time period i would love to exist in that cultural stew of that time period absolutely not is it is that because of like rampant disease
1: uh the disease and the uh yeah the hygiene um the rampant Inequality. I mean it's not, you know, like there's huge wealth inequality now, but like it's it's less kind of overtly racist and stuff. Um
0: Okay. So you don't yeah. you, you would you like the era, but you would not go back there. Yes. What what is it about that era that, that I'm sure I've asked you this before. I'm sorry. We'll rehash it for new listeners. What is about this era that like you really enjoy?
1: Um I mean it's it's partially aesthetic. Um okay you know, I like, I like the, the clothes and things and, and the, the design sensibilities of the time. Um, and it's, it's an interesting period of change. Sure. No. Um, I guess. And then just, you know, a lot of stuff that I have enjoyed has been set in that era. So it's got like, you know, nice, nice associations for me. Um, interesting. Yeah, I guess that's it.
0: Yeah. It's, it's mad. Like obviously it's aesthetics is a it- Highly subjective thing, and it differs from person to person. But I like if you were to be like, name a time period where the aesthetics like aren't very appealing to you. I'd be like that one, <laughs> that one right there. I just like the clothes and stuff. I find I just find it. Maybe I've just been like traumatized by too many period dramas. Um Yeah, that is not a time period that I have I have much interest in. That's that's really interesting.
1: There there are a lot of bad period dramas. Let's be fair. There,
0: there are. But you liked Paul Dark? I did like Paul Dark. yeah. yeah. When is a period drama not a period drama? When it's a jar? When it's a jar, great. I am now 100 percent clear on what a period drama <laughs> is, thank you. Um, but like if you have a drama set in the 20s, would that not mm-hmm. technically be a period drama as well, because it's of course. yeah yeah. yeah. Um, so you could make
1: an argument called the midwife as a period
0: drama.: The midwife, I don't know the midwife. You Don't recall The Midwife. Oh, the captains are watching that. Uh, I, I have not watched it, I, I know of it as a thing, I know nothing about it though. Um, yeah, okay, so I guess, yeah, I like Downton Abbey and stuff. If under this definition, it would also be a period drama. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah, so I, I like those, but um, yeah, there is an awful lot of garbage out there. Bridgerton is garbage. I'm sorry, folks, I hated it, it's just garish, garish. Um,
1: it's 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 pure spectacle, like, you know, and um I think it's it's fine at that.
0: It's you no know, well, what I mean is it's aesthetically garish. Like it's like right, they yeah, they yeah. ramped up the saturation. Like everyone is wearing like neon coloured clothing. Like how saturated can we make it's just it's a it's a like clown vomit. A clown vomited all over a period dram, basically. It just I, I, I dislike it for that. <laughs> it just aesthetically it doesn't do anything for me. Anyhow, anyhow, sorry, I just wanted to interrogate whether or not you have a a longing for the 1800s. Um, no. But uh, we asked and answered, Irish orthography, Bill, do you want to put a case to you? I said in the last show that Irish orthography is awful and you were like, exclamation mark, how dare you? And we need to discuss. Um, I'm going to ask you to put a case to me as to why you think Irish orthography is great, but I, we need to set the grounds here a little bit. What are we referring to when we're saying Irish orthography? We need to be on the same page here. Are we referring to the Romanization or the Gaelic script, because those are two very different things.
1: I mean I don't I don't feel them as, as being that different from the, the point of view I'm coming from. Just it's a fairly it's fairly consistent. Um, and like it sure it accounts for a dialectical variation, but you know it's it's consistent within those dialectical variations there's relatively few words where the way it's pronounced won't make sense.
0: No, hold, on, um, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Back up, back up. You're, you're into the advocacy part. Hold on. Are we talking about the Romanization? We're talking we're talking about the way like Irish words are written on like signposts in Ireland, correct? Not the archaic script. And I know you just said that they don't mean uh, they're not that different to you, but they are to me. So are, are we talking about the Ro- modern Romanization of Irish?
1: I, I, I can't answer that because I don't see, I don't understand the distinction you're making.
0: Well, I because well, I think the Gaelic script is a lot better than the uh, Romanization. Okay. And the point is Irish orthography is awful. One of For me, one of them is not, and one of them is. We need to make sure we're talking about the right one here, from my perspective.
1: Right.
0: Or to rephrase, we need to be talking about the Romanization. Are we, are we, can we frame the conversation in the context of Romanization? Sure. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah sure. Perfect, 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 okay, right. So uh, now do your advocacy. Why is Irish orthography... Great, or go or not awful. I don't know how you want to pitch it.
1: Um, because as I said, it's it's consistent. Um, you know, w- with allowing for dialectical variations, and that's going to be an issue in any language. Um, and there's relatively few words where there, you'll be really surprised by how something is is pronounced. Um, and yeah, it just it just kind of once once you. Except that it is a different system than English, um, then yeah, it's just, it's, I I, I can't see much to disagree with in it.
0: Okay, that is interesting. We should probably outline for anyone who doesn't know the sort of uh, pillars of the idea that the romanization is doing for Irish. Um, Do you want to take this or should I take this?
1: You take it because I don't know what you're going to, what you mean by that.
0: Okay, so. If one goes and looks at an Irish word, um, your initial thought as an English speaker would be like, the hell even is this? Um, and there's a couple of rules that the orthography, that the romanization follows that kind of make what you're seeing make sense. Um, just for context, if anyone wants to pause the show, open up a browser and enter in the word, the letters t a o i s e. A-C-H, okay? That, that is an Irish word. Don't click on the Wikipedia link because it'll give you the IPA. Just look at the Romanization, right? You look at that and you go, what even? Itaui seach, right? Uh, you're like, what even's going on? Some of the pillars, the sort of fundamental ideas of the Irish uh, Romanization system is this concept of the Latin, agus quail quail, which means broad with broad and slender with slender. And that is that uh, the, uh, the Romanization um, treats the vowels E and A or I and E uh, as being slender, air quotes, and the rest of them as being broad, right? And a rule of the orthography is you can't have uh, either side of consonants. You have to have the same category, right? So you could never have, or at least it might be vanishing rare, to have a word like A-S-I. That doesn't work in the orthography because A is broad and then I is slender. So you have to insert sort of a dummy vowel to make sure that either side of a consonant, everything is either broad or slender. So a word like, uh, hypothetically, a word like A-S-O-I would work, right? Because A and O are broad. And so circling the consonants, you have these broad vowels, right? Hopefully, when you're looking at this word I spelled out for you, you could be like, oh, okay, cool. So you can look at the consonants, see the vowels around it, and you can kind of see maybe why there's like vowel bloat going on. Uh, another thing is because Irish has uh, uh, mutations, and uh, an effective way of notating that is with like, I guess, dummy letters as well, uh, commonly a H. Um, will be inserted to show a, a, a lenited form of a consonant. So you have a B, which is a burst sound, you put a H after it, it turns into like a W sound, which is a lenited form of that. Uh, as Bill pointed out, this is consistent um, across the board. But again, hopefully, when looking at a word, you can be like, okay, I, I'm beginning to see why this occurs. And there's a couple of other rules that are very kind of alien to, from an English speaking perspective. Um, but they're kind of, like, intrinsic to the system. Did I summarize that fairly well?
1: Yes. You left out an important fact about the broad and slender, though.
0: Oh, go for it. Sorry.
1: That consonants are, have broad and slender pronunciations as well, and that's why there's extra vowels. That's why that rule exists, so you, so it's, you, you yeah. know how a, a, a consonant is pronounced. Like, if you had the, the sequence A-S-I, it would not be clear how to pronounce that S. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you had a i s i, it would be a sh, or a s o i, it would be a s. That's that's the reason. Like yeah. the, the 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 broad broad and slender vowel pairing isn't just for the crack. It's, it's <laughs> it carries information.
0: Sorry, yes, you're you're dead right. Sorry, I just gave a surface description without under saying what the underlying process is. Yes, you're dead right. It uh, might be worth people opening up Irish phonology and having a look at it, and you'll see the broad and slender crack going on. Um, yeah. So um everything so now for my rebuttal to what bill said everything that bill said is correct right it is consistent um it you know it 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 tells you exactly how you should pronounce these these uh, um words um it's it's really great that way my my issue with it is that it is utterly opaque to everyone who doesn't have an understanding of of the system now Obviously, you need to have an understanding of of things to understand other things. I get that. But it's like, it it places the burden, it places you, the burden on the person trying to interpret what they're saying. And they need to go away and learn these like rules, like, which are quite convoluted in order to interpret the thing. It's not immediately obvious to non-Irish readers what the hell is going on, right? In a way that like, it doesn't occur in like German. Like, you can show a German word, and people will be able to, like, make a fairly good stab at it. But, like, I'm willing to bet exactly zero people. people, What? What people? Like, English speakers.
1: Yeah, but, like, I don't give a about whether English (laughs) speakers can pronounce it. Like, it's not English. It's a different language.
0: Well, the point of a Romanization is... Because then you could just be, like, just write it in a script. You know, the point of a Romanization is to have it kind of, like, be uh, understandable by other uh people who are using this system like like why romanize why just come up with a script then if you don't really care about like communication in a broader sense you know just use the old gaelic script which i'm actually an advocate for like i think using the, the old gaelic script would be a major upgrade on romanization but there's you know yeah, that, that's the point be awesome that would be awesome but the point of a romanization is that like the idea is that we have a bunch of cultures that use this romanization systems to transcribe their languages and the, the, there is a a, a a bit a, a chance there to have intercommunication or a, a interunderstandability if that's a term or whatever um so yeah it, 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 to, to continue um i word i told everyone to type out t o t a o i s e a c h i'm willing to bet exactly zero people would come to the conclusion naturally that that's pronounced Shuck because there's just so much extra information there that goes contrary to the way a lot of romanizations um, work. You know, um, I think the the notion of we'll use extra vowels to indicate what consonants are doing seems just like a crazy solution. Just have different consonants. Like maybe have a consonant. this is what the Gaelic script does, if I recall correctly. Have a consonant and then its slender form or its broad form, whichever one you want, give it a diacritic. Like that's so much cleaner than No it. What? No. Okay, well, we may disagree on that, but I find it No, g- no, that, that's not that's not accurate. Why is if that? If you not spell
1: Tishach in the Gaelic script, it still has as many vowels on it.
0: Okay, well then my example of the Gaelic script is, is flawed. That doesn't change the point that uh, using vowels to indicate what a consonant is doing is is a far more cumbersome way of doing it than just putting a circumflex above an s, for example, or a dot. Sure. below but, but but but
1: that's 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 also a problem in the, in the Gaelic script.
0: Sure, Grant, I will yeah. I will fully accept that that doesn't change the point I just said. Like I find the usage of vowels in the Romanization system to indicate what consonants are doing just hilarious. Like that's why are, why do we even settle upon this?
1: You're just gonna have so many, so many um glyphs then for, for, for different consonants.
0: No, no, you'd um, no, you you'd have you'd have a set of glyphs and then you'd have diacritics.
1: Right, right, for for the which is the, the, right. the And know. then
0: you can see like this is the base glyph, S, and then an S with a circumflex river is its is its its slender version. Now, granted, you need to go off and learn what those are, but like at least then, you know, at first glance to anyone. You'd be like, this is an S, and this is like a modified S. Whereas, like I S E, for example, why in what world is I S E the correct way to communicate that that's a sh sound and not an S sound? In specifically in reference to the word t-shuk? Um that's 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 a crazy solution we've come up with there. Um, and it it not only does it do a bad job of communicating what the consonants are doing it also then makes the vowels hilarious because again in the word t-a-o-i that combination needs to be there to fulfill all the rules but that you're leading you're led to the hilarious conclusion that a-o-i is e like in no world is the combination a-o-i-e no one would look at that and in a vacuum go that is how we transcribe e a-o-i like a triglyph to, to transcribe e but also sort of do stuff with consonants, that's a hilarious solution, in my opinion.
1: I just I don't know, it just doesn't seem like that to me at all. Okay, well and, and I mean, like, I think every language does stuff like this. I mean, I think trying to look at it from what other people will will get is I don't know, it just seems seems misguided. I don't I don't see those so those things suggested for like French or Italian and and they're uh, peculiarities of, of how they're pronounced uh, so compared my, to other languages.
0: My argument is not that a Romanization should be perfectly, like, perfect, and there should be no peculiarities. My issue is that the per- 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 peculiarities of this are extreme. Like, we've gone way, way over left field here. Like, you can have peculiarities, sure, perfect. Like, there's always going to be some degree of, like, you need to learn the rules of what this Romanization is doing. Um, But Irish is just an an extreme end, like, for me. It's just, we've, we've kind of lost run of ourselves and we've forgotten that, like, the idea here is to get this information in as quick as possible. This is not the correct way of doing this because you have to parse so much crap that can be conveyed in just a much easier way. Is my thing, so I'm, I'm not advocating that you need to have a perfect romanization system that any Italian could look at and be like, oh, I kind of know what's going on here. I'm saying you need to have a romanization system that isn't as cumbersome as the one we currently have.
1: It's not to do with romanization, though, because it's it's as I said, it's nothing to do with romanization. That 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 vowel stuff there is in the Gaelic script as well.
0: But this is where at the start I was like, we need to we need to differentiate the, between these two things because I'm treating the romanization as it we're, we're taking these Latin characters, and we're putting them on Irish, right? That is a thing removed from the Gaelic script.
1: Right, so as in, when we had a romanization, we'd totally change the spelling of things?
0: Yes. Like, I think Irish needs a spelling reform, because these spellings are insane.
1: Oh, no, no, no. no.
0: <laughs> tell, me, tell me why no. <laughs> I, just, I just don't see the point, like. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me just interrogate what I, I i'm genuinely curious here like do you accept the notion that one could perhaps see the current system as being a bit bloaty
1: i see why you've come to that conclusion
0: okay okay and i would like to know why you don't come to that conclusion because for me it's like self-evident because
1: um, i think it doesn't it doesn't matter
0: like right but it, but but why <laughs> why doesn't it matter because, Why does it matter? Well, because for me, the idea you're making that, a
1: positive claim that it does matter. Sure, sure, sure. And it, it, It's just the way it's spelled.
0: Sure, sure. Well, what we we a say on how things are spelled, but but I, for me, I think it's it's um, needlessly complicated to represent a monothong with three vowels in a romanization. That is needlessly complicated, and is a hindrance to learning.
1: See, I don't think it is a hindrance to learning because I never had an issue understanding that Aoi was pronounced e.
0: Uh, yeah, okay, but that's because like we began learning this is when we were kids, and we had a sponge, and we're, our mind was able to soak all this stuff up. But imagine coming to this later in life. Say you move to, say you're a Ukrainian, you move to Ireland, you're like, I'd like to get, I'd like to learn a bit of Irish. You look at this and you go, Oh my god, no! Or you struggle with it for ages. Like that, that, that stuff matters to me.
1: No, I, I, I think, no, I, I don't think changing the the identity of it is. I I, I I don't think that's worth changing the identity of it.
0: See, that's interesting. That, that Your usage of the word identity there is extremely interesting because I don't see it as an identity sort of thing. Like, I see it as a skin on top of what it actually is, you know? It's like, the, what it actually is, is the word is Taoiseach, right? How we decide to Romanize that is not a matter of identity to me. It's just a tool. It's just a function we need to perform to write this thing down. So I don't, if we were to change it, I don't see it as like, oh, Irish has lost identity. It's just, we've changed the mechanism by which we deliver these sounds from the page into your brain. So I don't see it as like a loss of something deeply important. Like, I don't think a Romanization is like, deeply and culturally important. Now, I can imagine you'd have pushback on that. And I th- I'm, you know, this is one of those contentious things where I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer. But for me, the Romanization is not a, it's not a, an identity thing. It's not a culturally significant thing. It's just the skin we put on top the sounds we say. Mm-hmm. Um. So I would be like, yeet it immediately. Spell Taoiseach, T-I-S, circumflex, A-C-H, done. Um, yeah,
1: no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you, you don't have to apologize. It just, it just doesn't, doesn't ring true for me.
0: Okay. Okay. Do, do you, do you believe that there's anything, um, worth changing at all? Like, it, surely you must be like, you must have encountered some things where you're like, oh wow, that's maybe not the best way of, of representing a thing. Is there anything at all like that? Or do you, do, do you think Irish is like, it? literally it's, you know, S tier, um, Romanization?
1: I mean look I think you know it's it's probably as good as it can be for the 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 task it has to it has to solve um you know all of the different things it's trying to balance um like there, there, you get occasional weird things like the um the mutation of n sounds into or which is quite common in the north um yeah so, Canuck becomes Crook. Um, the The weirdest word in Irish is probably Caoir, which is the the kind of translation of the name Connor. Um,
0: I like to go with the OG. I like to go with the OG Kunkavar.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like that, made, that makes total sense when when you know what's what's uh, what's happening with the. There's like three. There's three little things going on there that you just need to be comfortable with. Uh, and that's the only like really really weird word that I can I can. Bring to mind, um, but it's 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 so it's so much more consistent than than English,
0: Well, I mean, the, the topic of how much of a disaster English's writing system is is a whole separate thing. Like, I'm not saying English is the pinnacle. Yeah. English is particularly awful. Like, again, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you in Irish that it is consistent and if you know the rules and are willing to sit there and interrogate this obtuse word, you will come to mm-hmm. the correct pronunciation for sure, whereas that is not a guarantee in English. Like, English's romanization system is worse than Irish. Irish is just mm-hmm. the, it, the thing that annoys me about it is that it's like it's we've gotten the point of it to be kind of as consistent as possible, but we've just done it in the most cumbersome roundabout way possible. And I find it just like we've both met the goal and failed at the goal at the same time. And it drives me nuts. I I would like to read a thing from uh Lergos, probably pronounced wrong dot ie if that's okay, I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. Just just again, this is this is this whole page uh that's that'll be linked is on the um the, the rules and regs of the romanization system. This paragraph on AO um, is is indicative of, I think, what I'm trying to say. AO is spoken like a long E, that's A in Munster, or like a long E, the IPA E uh, in Connacht, Ulster, or Standard. That's how I, I pronounce it. Um, despite the pronunciation, it counts as broad. So we said E and A were slender vowels, but e when it's a o counts as broad and is also and it is also framed by broad consonants so that immediately is kind of like weird Uh, should a slender vowel follow one writes a o i as we already talked about and it's always pronounced e like i can't read that in good faith and go that was the best solution we could have came up with you know and and this this problem is echoed the whole way down um with each of these things they are consistent but just in the most opaque manner humanly possible
1: sure I just, no.
0: yeah i know end, <laughs> the, end the conversation but i just wanted to point out no, that,
1: yeah I'm not, I'm not being that i'm not saying that to be ignorant or to shut it down or anything it's just like i i I don't have that reaction
0: mm. do, do you do you think maybe you're just it's a sort of um how do i describe it's like a pride thing like we have this really unique way of romanizing, like I, I want to hold on to that because we've come to this unique solution. Is that is that what's causing you to kind of be like?
1: No. I don't I don't think it's it's pride and its uniqueness. I just think like you know it it works. It's fine. It, I, okay. Yeah. I just I. It, it's never occurred to me to be necessary to to do anything with it. It's fine.
0: Okay. Okay. Um. There you go. Let, let us know, Reddit, what you think about this.
1: Although, I'm going to butt in here. Mm. Um, there is one fairly prominent example of something done in a alternate orthography that you will be familiar with.
0: Oh, dear. He's putting the pressure on me. Okay, what is it? Yeah.
1: Can you think of any Irish institution which, like, looks a bit weird when, you, when it's written down? Uh, no.
0: No. Aroctis? The Aroctus?
1: No. No, see, that's, that's, that's in totally normal uh, no. orthography.
0: I don't know. What, what are you talking about? Aer Lingus. Aer Lingus. Okay, for those who don't know, Aer Lingus is an Irish plane company, an Irish carrier. It's, it's the National Airline. It is the National Airline. That's much to Ryanair's chagrin. Um,
1: uh, L-I-N-G-U-S. That doesn't look like an Irish word.
0: No. Is it an Irish word?
1: Yeah, oh, it's the it word for fleet, which is normally spelt uh, L-O-I-N-G-E-A-S, I think.
0: L o, i n g, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right, Aerolingus, that's really yeah. interesting, yeah. And
1: it was named, I th- or it's, like, I can't remember how it got its its name to be in this um, orthography, uh, but you know, have you heard of the politician Eamon O'Keeve? I have not. Okay, he's... Um, He's a TD for uh, international listeners. That's uh, a member of our parliament, a Dala. He's from Galway. And he spells his name O-Fada, C-U-I-Fada-V.
0: Hold on, hold on. I need to look him up now. Eamon uh, O... Spe- oh, oh, oh. Oh, why is Yeah, it only one I... O. No, no, no. I was... I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was an exclamation. Eamon O'Kweeve... Eamon O'Keefe. Why is he doing this?
1: So his grandfather, I think, uh developed an alternative orthography. And that's the oh. that's the system according to which um Erlingus is named.
0: Oh? I had no idea.
1: Yeah. So you might find this interesting to look into. Yeah, I, I
0: should I should point out to people why I had this O sort of um um, reaction um, this guy's second name C U I father. that's I with an accent or a or I would diacritic V right C U I diacritic V um, that is immediately galling to people who are used to looking at Irish orthography because V is a like a non-native letter we don't use it uh, I'm sure we use it in borrowings Typically. and things like that. Yeah. But like native words, you just, you never see a V. That's just not a thing. So that's why it looks immediately like, oh, um, I I'd need to look into the autography, but I find it like, it's like, oh, great, cool. That's much better because the IPA for his second name is K-I long vowel V palatalized. So you're close to what the IPA actually says, um, which I would count as being a good way of communicating sound. Across different peoples, etc., but it's like we're so close, but we still have this you here, and I'm like, I see what that's doing. It's uh, maybe it's bit or maybe it's labializing. Pronounce his name for me, will you please?
1: Um, Eamon O'Keefe. Oh, well, I, mean, I would have thought maybe O'Keefe, but the, the the IPA given here doesn't say that. That's what um, I was
0: thinking as well, and I thought maybe yeah. the IPA might be wrong, so that's why I was asking you to because I, I could see O'Keeve, um, C yeah. U. I I could totally see the U there performing the function of like a W and labializing it. But short of reading up on this alternative photography, I'm kind of like, once again, it's like, we've gotten close, lads. We've gotten close. Let's not talk about the problem with C. Leave that aside for a second, but we're getting better. But we're we're still insistent on just having extra vowels for unavoidable reading reasons, I think. I will look into that, Bill. That is extremely, extremely interesting. Have you got... Mm. In the early 20th century, uh, Sean, spelt normally, wow, changed the spelling of his surname to conform to a simplified spelling system of his own invention, uh, which he called on litru simply, which is like simple letters, I suppose. The simple yeah. letters. Um, I will leave a link to this in the... Um, the show notes as well, if I can find a good summation. That is interesting and cool. I really hope it does a good job. Um, and I will immediately advocate for it. Um, <laughs> okay, Irish orthography, done?
1: The conversation is done. The topic is not resolved, but the conversation, I think, has, has reached its conclusion. <laughs> I
0: am. I, so every time I have an opinion on the show, I'm always, my default expectation is that people are going to disagree vehemently with me. Mm-hmm. Um, see the last two months of podcasts, right? <laughs> Go to Reddit and see that. You just, you, everyone disagrees. And that's fine. That's fine. I, I am confident enough to say, to declare on air, that people are currently, or have been typing comments on the Reddit, um, listening to this, in agreement with me. I cannot, I cannot fathom a world, in which people are like, Edgar, you're totally wrong here. I just cannot fathom it. I cannot fathom it. Um, so I'm confident that I'm looking forward to going into Reddit. I'll see you there, folks. <laughs> and thanks for backing me up, chat. Love y'all. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, well, you're MC so you can wrap this boy up.
1: Well, I think that's the end of episode 706. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, Edgar, for being here with me. Uh, thank you, chat, for listening to this premiere with us and um until next time Edgar out no bill what
0: yeah you, you're what? you're the MC you have to do bill out
1: oh man I feel weird breaking the tradition that way but um, we've
0: already we've broken the entire tradition of show because I made you MC until next time ready
1: Edgar out No. Oh, damn
0: damn God damn
1: it I did it again <laughs> until next time <laughs> base nos
0: Bill spelled B A O I L L out. Just you know, because <laughs> that, that that's how we spell things apparently. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Until next time, Bill Edgar out. out.
0: Best outro ever.